Good morning. Welcome to church and happy new year. Happy 2022. It is so good to see you guys here this morning. I am so looking forward to bringing the word. It's always an honor to just communicate the word of God. So thank you, Pastor JD, for having me up here. In case we don't know each other already, my name is Lindsay, and I have the privilege of leading Antioch Discipleship School, otherwise known as ADS, otherwise known as D-School, otherwise known as the Training School. We have so many different nicknames for it, but if you ever hear that, know that what we're talking about is Antioch Discipleship School. And as a congregation, we don't often hear a whole lot about what is going on in ADS during Sunday services throughout the year. We typically hear about it in the summer when we're recruiting for the fall, but between our two recruiting seasons, we don't often hear what is going on in the school, so we can kind of forget that we have a school. We do indeed have a school that is meeting here from September until May, and really ADS is just a community of people that are dedicating a season of their lives to deepening their relationship with God and one another. We do this through weekly teachings, in-depth Bible studies, scripture memorization, certain books that we read together. We have so many tools that we just equip the students with throughout the year. But one of the best parts of the school is that you are doing it in community. All of the things that we do in ADS are things that you could certainly do by yourself individually, but when we do it together with other people in a similar place on their journey, it really just enriches the experience so much and just makes it life-changing. Every March, we open up our doors to the whole church for a night that we call Open House, and we just say, hey, come and join us. Come and see what a night of ADS is like. And you get to just sit in on our classes, and you get to see if this is something that you would like to be a part of in the coming fall. I also happen to love the new year. This is one of my favorite holidays. Do we have any other New Year's lovers in the house? I don't know about you, but I am from Wisconsin. I really love any sort of holiday that happens during the cold weather. I cannot get down with the 4th of July, but I can get down with the New Year's Day. This is also really just nothing too special about January 1st. It really is just the marking of the passing of time. But this is also the time of year that we often hear about resolutions and goal setting and reflecting, refocusing, all those sorts of things. And personally, I love all of that. I know there are so many naysayers out there that really this is, there's nothing special about a new year. But I personally love it and am a fan of all of it. Um, and if you think about it, there are just some truths about the human condition that are more obvious at this time of year than others. And one of those is that we are people who do what we want, not what we ought. Most of us have a longing for transformation that we attempt to achieve in a variety of ways. If you think about it, goal setting 
or resolution making or changing your habits, these are all just different methods to hopefully achieve transformation. This is also the time of year that we get to pause and check in with ourselves and take stock of the fact that we really do want more out of life than we are currently experiencing. If we were driven to do what we ought instead of what we want, gyms would not need to run promotionals right now. <laughs> we wouldn't have to change our diet because we'd be eating right all the, all the time. We would never have anything that we don't need because we'd all be living within our means, so we'd have tons of stuff saved, tons of money saved, and I don't know about you, I do own a few things that I really don't need and could have gone without. Whether or not you consider yourself a goal setter or a resolution maker, perhaps you don't do any of those things or even care about any of those things, you do not have to look far to realize that our culture at large is nearly obsessed with improving oneself. We call this industry self-help or self-improvement. You can stand in the lines at the grocery store and read titles of articles on how to de-stress and declutter and read more and exercise and prioritize better and essentially just better, 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 improve, improve, improve every single area of your life. This self-help industry, it's steadily growing each year by about 6 to 10%, and it's projected to be worth about $14 billion by 2025, which is quite a lot of money. This steadily increasing growth in self-improvement, I don't believe is all bad. I don't know about you, but I personally need some help when it comes to decluttering and organizing and things like that. But I believe the growth and the success of this industry can reveal a deeper reality about ourselves, and that is that we want to be transformed. We realize that we are not as we ought to be, but we need out help from outside of ourselves in getting there because life is hard, and living this one life well and stewarding our time and our days and our resources well is challenging. Jesus says in Matthew 23, 26, First, clean the inside of the cup the di and the dish, and then the outside will be clean also. I have really good news for us. Jesus is in the business of cleaning the inside of the cup. He's in the business of transforming us from the inside out. And when he cleans the inside of, his, of the cup, his cleansing actually brings a new want to. I don't know about you, but I don't want things that I used to want. I want things that I did not used to want. And this is what transformation does. I don't know if there's a more fundamental synopsis of the gospel than the truth that transformation is possible through the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Can we let that sink in for a minute? Sometimes we just hear that so many times that we forget transformation is on the table for us, and this is what Jesus purchased for us. He has made a way for us to be completely transformed in him. Now, God has a way of giving us a new want to, it typically doesn't happen automatically when we receive Jesus as Savior. 
And when we see Jesus transforming people in scripture, there are a lot of times that he had what has been called power encounters with people where there was an interaction with him and another person and in an instant he spoke a word and the demons left that person or they just lightly touched his clothes and the sickness left their body and they experienced literally transformation in an instant. But we also see Jesus inviting people in to his life as a disciple and getting into the gritty rhythms of life and teaching them how to live in the ordinary where transformation is painstakingly slow. I know that oftentimes he taught in order to transform the people that were listening to him, and he taught things like, do not worry about your life, what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink or what you're going to wear. And it wasn't like, boom, no longer worrying. I have no more worries. I don't know about you, but I don't just read that verse and instantly I'm transformed into a worry-free person. There is a way of transforming our desires and therefore us that we would naturally and freely be like Jesus which is full of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. In Matthew 28, 18 through 20, this is commonly called the Great Commission. These are Jesus' final parting words to his disciples. And I like how the message version words it for the purpose of this message. And it says, Jesus, undeterred, went right ahead and gave his charge. God authorized and commanded me to train you. Go out and train everyone you meet far and near in this way of life, marking them by the baptism of the threefold name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Then instruct them in the practice of all I have commanded you. I'll be with you as you do this day after day right up to the end of the age. So train them in this way of life. Instruct them in the practice of my commands. If you're a note taker, I highly recommend just jotting those two lines down. Train them in this way of life. Instruct them in the practice of my commands. The final commissioning to the disciples was to, to train and instruct in the practices of Jesus's way of life. If we want to be transformed, to naturally be like Jesus, which I don't know about you, I have a long way to go, we must first look into his lifestyle and adopt his practices as our own, but because what he did made him who he was. Now, I may, I, you may be thinking that, well, Jesus was God. He has that part of the equation going for him that we do not have going for us. And I completely agree. But we also have to remember that Jesus subjected himself to being a human. He came in human form, and he actually had the limitations of being human. 
when Jesus fasted, it wasn't like he had the ability to not eat and also not feel hunger. He was hungry. And when he quoted scripture, he actually had a point in his life where he sat down and memorized scripture. And any ADS student in here will tell you that memorizing scripture is hard and takes a lot of work. He also practiced the Sabbath, which meant even though he had three short years to accomplish his mission, he still took a 24-hour period out of his week to rest and to cease from work and to worship and be with the Father. And I have a feeling that when he got up early to be with the Father, it was just as hard for him to get himself out of that bed as it is for us sometimes. If we want to live like Jesus, we must train and practice in the same habits and rhythms and disciplines as he did. When I hear the words train and practice, my mind can't help but remember the time that my high school best friend somehow managed to convince me to sign up for cross country as a high school senior. I don't know about you, but most people don't sign up for a new sport that they've never done before when they are high school seniors. Most people have long settled into their sport or their hobby. By that point, they're not taking up new things, and if they do take up a new thing, it's probably not for the school. But that was not what I did. She, con she was, had consistently been running from the time she was eight years old so she had lots of years under her belt. She went and uh, ran for cross country in college, got a full ride scholarship. Me, on the other hand, I had never run a day in my life unless I was running from something. My filter, if, what I, if I would try this sport or not, was literally how much running is involved. Because if there was a lot of running involved, I didn't even need to try it to know that I wouldn't like it. I was just like, no, I do not want to do that. I do not want to play soccer. That's way too much running. Shuffleboard, I can do shuffleboard. Golf, I can do golf. I can do any sport that requires no running. But, but anything that requires running, I'm done. So I get to the first day of practice thinking, okay, I'm going to be okay because I have my friend with me. The ultimate security blanket of a high school girl is I have a buddy with me. And the buddy that I had turned out to be the best runner on the team. So we get there, and our coach shouts out, okay, one mile easy, one mile easy, everybody. They all get jogging, and I look at my friend, and I say, what does that mean? And she's like, this is our warm-up. We're going to run one mile just nice and slow. One mile nice and slow, all I can run total is one mile <laughs> nice and slow. And after that, there was no more gas in the tank for the actual practice. And then our coach says, okay, today we're going to be running fartleks. Fartleks are a Swedish, it's a Swedish word for a type of run that we do. And I don't know who the authority of cross country is in America, but they should have said, you know, this word doesn't really translate well in our country. We have to rename this type of run for our cross-country people. But no, I get there, and I start being told to run fartleks. 
So I get there, and this is the moment I find out that me and my friend will not be running together. She is ahead in the six-minute mile average pack. I am in the back at the 10-minute mile average pack, and we will only be seeing each other during stretching, so no <laughs> comfort blanket for me. I was hoping as I got running these fartleks and I'm beet red and I'm dripping sweat that somebody was going to tell me, hey, you really look like you need to sit down. You look like you're pushing it too hard. But no, nobody said that. They just encouraged me to keep going. And I literally just about died. I could not remember a time in my life that I have ever been more exhausted than my first day of cross country running fartleks. And I go up to my friend after practice and I said, what have you done? You have convinced me to run cross country. This is miserable. I cannot believe you even find this fun. Is this some kind of sick joke making me run cross country? You know I have never run anything at all before ever. And she goes, running for you is not fun because you haven't trained. Meet me at my gym on Saturday. You're going to meet my trainer, Rory. She trained me, and she'll train you. So i like, okay, I guess I'll go, because now I'm in cross country, and this is what you got to do. So I get to the gym, a CrossFit gym in 2006. Had zero clue what CrossFit was. I don't run with people that would know what that is. So Rory, I meet her. She prints out this calendar for me, and it is a training plan of different runs that I'm going to do to become a better runner. So certain days she had speed runs on there, certain days she had fart legs, certain days she had long runs, and there were all these different types of runs, different types of training and exercise for me to do in order for me to become successful at cross country. And I go up to her and I'm like, Rory, you've got like four different kinds of runs on here, and I've only got one type of run in me, and it's the 10 minute run, then I'm exhausted, and then I quit. So like speed run, there is no speed run here, unless I'm like sprinting just a 50 meter dash. And she says, you have to do these different types of runs, because these different types of workouts are doing different things in your body. Some types of runs, they're gonna be increasing your stamina. Some types of runs are going to be increasing your speed. All the different workouts that I put on the training plan for you are doing a specific purpose that are accomplishing something in your body for you to become better at cross country. And this is when I learned that training and practice transforms you. As I submitted to this training plan and followed the best of the, to my best of my ability, long runs, fart licks, all those things, I eventually improved and became a better runner and ended the season dropping my time from like 10.45 to 8.15, which in two months is not bad. I also got hooked on running. Once the season was over and I no longer was required to go to practice, I still wanted to run because I loved it so much. And I want to propose that God also transforms us through training. Scripture actually compares our life to a race. Hebrews 12, 1 through 2 says, 
Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. 1 Corinthians 9, 4 through 5 also says, Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. 2 Timothy 4, 6 through 7 says, I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time of my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. 1 Timothy 4, 8 says, For physical training is of some value, but godliness, spiritual training, is of value of in everything and in every way since it holds promise for the present life and for the life to come. Just as athletes have a training regimen for particular sports, disciples of Jesus must also adopt a training regimen for spiritual growth and transformation. The biblical word for this training regimen is traditionally called the spiritual disciplines. The disciplines are the practices that Jesus engaged in regularly. Although they're not explicitly listed in scripture, you can't turn to a page in the Bible and find a list of disciplines. You can look at the life of Jesus and you can observe the habits and the practices that he engaged in regularly that he was able to draw strength and power from these practices. Just as athletes have this, this regimen, we must also do this to draw our strength and power from these practices. The disciplines are not a conclusive list, but the ones that we're going to be focusing in on are Bible study, for Jesus, this looked like attending synagogue for the public reading of scripture. People didn't own their own copies of scripture back then, so they attended synagogue to hear it read aloud. Um, scripture memorization and meditation. The more you meditate on scripture, the more you'll have it committed to memory. Prayer, silence, and solitude. Fasting, community, simplicity, worship, Sabbath keeping, stewardship, to name several of the most practiced ones. Just as when I followed a training schedule for my trainer, I had to do different types of runs and exercises because they all did something different in me, all the different disciplines are doing something different in you that form you and shape you and transform you into the person you are becoming. And we want the practices that we are becoming to help us to become like Jesus. Can I tell you something that I am very excited about? We are starting a 12-week series. Starting next week, Pastor J.D. is going to be kicking it off on the practices of Jesus, going through a practice each and every week that we can adopt our own practices so that we as a go deeper into maturity and transformation. Our desire is that we, the body of Christ at Antioch, Austin, would be transformed into Christ-likeness as we know him more through these practices, that we would not only just be people 
who identify as Christian, but people whose very lives, our everyday lives, our daily lives, would reflect the way that Jesus lived. Richard Foster has written an incredible book on the disciplines that we read every year in D school, and it's called The Celebration of Discipline, and it's where I got most of what I know about the disciplines or practices of Jesus, and he explains the disciplines like this. The aim of the disciplines is not external conformity, whether to doctrine or deed, but the subterranean reformation of the inner self, of the spiritual core, the place of thought, feeling, will, and character. The spiritual disciplines, then, are the God-ordained means by which each of us is enabled to bring ourselves before God as a living sacrifice. It is the way we go about training in spiritual life. By means of this process, we become, through time and experience, those are key words, people who naturally and freely express love, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. I don't know about you, but my husband and my kids would probably really love it if I could naturally and freely express love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control all the time. It's worth noting that the disciplines in and of themselves are not the goal. The goal of fasting is not to say, whew, I went 24 hours without eating. The goal of Bible reading is not just to be able to say that I've read the whole Bible. The end game is not the discipline in and of himself. The end game is knowing Jesus more. And because we know him more, we can become like him. And grow naturally the fruit of the spirit in our lives. Foster also describes this about the disciplines. Oftentimes when we want to overcome sin, whether sin of omission, which is not doing what you ought to do, or sin of commission, which is doing what you ought not to do, we try to overcome that through self-will. We just try to say, okay, I'm just, I'm not going to spend much. I'm not going to drink much. I'm going to not indulge in some way. We try to restrict ourselves from indulging through self-will. Or we just try to try really hard. Okay, this is the year that I'm going to read the Bible in a year and I'm going to finally have a prayer life. I'm finally going to fast. We try to exert our own effort to become a certain way. Transformation through self-will rarely works. When God doesn't instantly deliver us from some sort of inclination that we have, he often prescribes a practice to counter what it is we are drawn towards. So for example, I'm just gonna show you my cards here. I have a tendency towards pride. I really wanna do awesome, Jesus-y stuff, amazing stuff. Tell everybody, I'm sorry I'm a, I'm a millennial, I was raised in the participation prize era. And I want everybody to clap for me. I want people to applaud for me. I want people to like it, my, like my post, share what I posted, that kind of thing. And for me, I personally need to have a practice of hiddenness to counter my inclination towards pride. And oftentimes, when Jesus is encountering people in Scripture, 
he'll often do something amazing for them. He'll heal them or deliver them or something. For some people, he'll say, hey, go and tell the whole town what I just did for you. And with some people, he says, hey, go and tell no one what I just did for you. And I often wonder if he knew their hearts. He knew if they were the type of person that needed to have a discipline of hiddenness or if they were a type of person that needed to actually step out and go share their testimony with the whole town. You also might, thinking, might be thinking, so are you saying, Lindsay, that if I do these practices, then Jesus will transform me? If I start memorizing scripture or fasting or praying or whatever it is, then Jesus transforms me. Because this sounds like a lot of weight and pressure on me when really the weight and the pressure should be on Jesus and what he did. I don't know about you, but early in my discipleship, I heard this phrase a lot that it's not about what you do, it's about what God does. And while there is truth to that as it pertains to our salvation, we did nothing to earn our salvation, we did nothing to make ourselves right with God, it was all a free gift of his grace, this truth doesn't necessarily apply to every area of our faith. Dallas Willard says it like this, grace isn't opposed to effort, grace is opposed to earning. You aren't earning being right with God through practicing the spiritual disciplines. You are putting effort into being transformed into his likeness. Believing that it's about what God does and not what we do should not produce the fruit of passivity in our lives. I also liked the way that John Mark Comer puts it so succinctly when he says, without him, we can't, and without us, he won't. I think that this can stem from the fact that in our culture, when we say we follow Jesus, what we typically mean by that is that we have the belief system of Christianity or we have the belief system of Jesus, when really, for the first followers of Jesus, following Jesus quite literally meant getting up, leaving where they were, walking and following him with their body. They followed Jesus with their body long before they followed him with their beliefs. And now we follow him with our beliefs long before we follow him with our body. We try to, our obedience and action is required in transformation. And this is why we call it practice because it's something that you do. It is a partnership between our obedience and his divine power that yields transformation. Now, I don't think it's like a 50-50 thing, like 50% me and my effort and 50% him and his divine power. It's probably more like 10 and 90, but I do think that it's important that we own that we have a part to play in our spiritual growth and transformation. I felt that it was really important today that we have a time of ministry time because it's important to create space for us to receive the following teachings in the next 12 weeks well so that our heart is postured to receive all that Pastor J.D. is going to share with us. So I have 
because I, I, I know that when you say the word spiritual disciplines, some of you can feel the way that I felt when my dentist tells me I need to talk to you about flossing. If you're like a, I have a hard time getting it together with flossing person, I, I feel you on that. So I have three shifts that I would like us to make so that we can posture our hearts well to receive in the coming weeks. And shift number one is we need to turn from an attitude of trying to an attitude of training. The spiritual practices are not something we try to do. They are something that we train to do. Remember when I was not enjoying cross country? It was because I was a newbie and I barely had any experience. But as I gave myself to training, I eventually fell in love with cross country. And this is what I want you to take away if you just remember one sentence from this message. And it's that the spiritual practices are not about gritting your teeth. They are about falling in love. You will fall in love with Jesus as you give yourself to the practices of Jesus. You won't want to take a day off from spending time with Jesus because this is our get to. We don't have to do this, but he's invited us to be a part and why would we want to miss out on that? Maybe you'll have to be deliberate about it at first, but the time will come where you are no longer being deliberate. You are just in love with the Lord. Number two, the second shift I'd like us to make is a page I got from my fitness trainer, which is start where you are, not where you want to be. A lot of times we let our ego get in the way of a beautiful, small beginning. And if you have never spent time with the Lord, I want you to know that consistency, even if it's a small amount of time, over time, rather than one big chunk of time, is so much more important. So even if you have five minutes a day to pray, do five minutes a day. God can do a lot with a little. For the third shift, some of you might be thinking, I tried that for a while. I used to do that back when I first came to know the Lord. And it kind of seemed to stop working, so I stopped doing it. Remember when my coach told me to run one mile easy and that was my max workout? Your max workout might be different now. I want to encourage you, you might need a longer distance. You might need to add some different practices to your training in order to grow and become like Jesus. You might need to start lifting heavier per se. Don't quit if you aren't feeling the effects that you once did because deeper, deeper discipline leads to deeper intimacy. The weight on the bar isn't so that God can exhaust you. It is so that he can draw you into deeper practice. Lastly, I'd like my leaders to come forward, life group leaders, ADS students, freedom prayer leaders. There are likely obstacles or walls unique to each one of us. And the good news is that the Holy Spirit knows what each one of ours is and he can minister to us uniquely. All of the people that are coming up here are equipped to prophesy, and I encourage you, come and get a prophetic word for your year about these disciplines. Um, and also, just to recap, number one, if you wanna make the shift, 
from an attitude of trying to an attitude of training. You can come up and receive prayer or you can pray with someone where you are. Number two, start where you are, not where you want to be. Number three, if the practices have become dull, deepen them, don't drop them. And the question I want to leave you with and I want to leave all of us with is this. If you want to become a person of love, of joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control, a person who burns with righteous anger at the right things and manifests the power and the presence of God, do we also want to be a person of prayer, of fasting, of scripture, of simplicity, of community, of silence, of solitude? of Sabbath keeping and of stewardship. Because if we want the fruit that Jesus had, we must be willing to do what Jesus did. So would we not run from those things? Would we run to those things so that we can deepen our relationship with him unto transformation? Father, I thank you so much that this is not a gritting our teeth, getting it done type of discipline, God, but it's a falling in love with Jesus type of discipline, God. So would you release a fresh grace over this house that we would not do what we want to, we do what we ought to, and God, you transform our want to's. That being with you, that praying with fasting would become our deepest and greatest joy, Lord. God, would you create in us clean hearts as we step into this new year that we can dive into these disciplines and deepen our practices, God, that we may know you more because you are the prize, Jesus. Knowing you is the prize. We love you. We thank you so much, God, and we glorify you this morning. In Jesus' name, 